0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Alice Christian College Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spees, the Director of Advancement here at the college, and we want to thank you for joining us as we continue in our series that we have titled Our Calling. In this series, we focused on hearing from our department chairs, staff, and coaches as they share their passion as program leaders and highlight the distinctives of those various programs. In this episode, we welcome back another regular to our podcast series, Mr. Gary Hardy. Gary, it's good to see you. It's good to see you, Scott, and uh, everybody out there listening. Yes, thanks for being here with us today. Gary serves as the Director of Learning Technology and Associate Professor of Intercultural Studies here at DCC. And he and his wife spent several years in Guam as missionaries before returning to the States and ultimately landing here at Dallas Christian College. And today we're going to hear about Gary's personal calling in ministry and Christian higher education as well as his passion for seeing all nations come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Facilitating our discussion with Gary is the head of DCC's Practical Ministries Department, Dr. Eddie Sanders. Dr. Sanders, I'm going to turn it over to you for this episode of Our Calling.
1: Yes, hey, good to see y'all. Good to see you. Good to be seen. Just right off the bat, Gary, what is your calling? Well, my calling
2: is to intercultural missions— but specifically today it's in educating people and duplicating that, and we'll talk about that a little bit more here in a second uh how I got to that but uh I think yeah, to get my calling in in context, you have to go back to the beginning sort of uh I was raised in an overwhelmingly white uh rural community it's still about ninety seven and a half percent white uh south indianapolis um So I had really no intercultural relationships and practically no intercultural encounters even growing up. And really, sadly, racial bigotry and and, uh, prejudice were really hallmarks of my community, and that kind of helped ensure that that would happen, I'm sad to say. Uh, Things have changed somewhat, but it's still a a relatively white community, as I say. But even then, I was really always interested in the world outside my little small-town bubble. I remember as a kid, friends of mine were reading comic books, and I was reading world atlases, memorizing capitals of countries and things like that. And they were learning about superhero powers of Captain this and that. And I was kind of weird that way. But anyway, I ended up joining the Marine Corps right out of high school uh, back in 1976, and I immediately had intercultural experiences right from the get-go. Uh, my, the fir- for the first time in my life, I lived and worked alongside African-Americans. Uh, most of my roommates during my, for whatever reason, during my time in the Marine Corps were African-Americans, most of them from large cities like Chicago and New York. Uh, very different from my background, but they became some of my closest friends. I found out we had a whole lot more in common than I ever imagined that we would. Uh, I was also stationed overseas for over half my enlistment, enlistment first in Okinawa and then in Guam. I also got to make some brief visits to South Korea and the Philippines on some exercises while I was there. So I finally got to realize some of those childhood dreams I had had about seeing the world. I was excited about that. I still thank my father for encouraging me to get stationed overseas where I could experience the world and not stay close to home.
1: So when you're a kid, why would you pick that Atlas up, you think? I don't know. I mean, my mother liked to learn about a lot of
2: things. I think it mainly came from her um, she was always learning about new things, but I, I mean, the first time I got into my public school library and saw a World. Actually, we actually even had um, some encyclopedias at home. I probably some door-to-door salesman back in the <laughs> in the fifties or sixties showed up with them, but we had the Encyclopedia Americana, Americana. But we also had one called Of Lands and Peoples, mm-hmm. and that had a lot of that kind of thing in it. And I think that also influenced me as well. But just a kind of that, even though you know, it was just there for me to, to take, and I it just grabbed me. Um, So after my discharge from the Marine Corps in 1980, I moved back to my hometown, took a job in Indianapolis where I continued to develop some intercultural relationships with some coworkers and customers. But I also became very involved as a volunteer youth leader at the church where I'd grown up. And that's where I heard the students being challenged over and over again about full-time Christian service. We'd go to like CIY conferences and things like that. And so at the same time, these high school students are being challenged to, to consider Bible college and full-time Christian service. Guess who else is hearing it? Here I am, single, haven't used my GI Bill yet, wondering what my career is going to be. A reason I hadn't used my GI Bill yet was I was trying to figure out what I wanted to go to college for. And finally, after a couple of years, I just gave in and said yes to full-time Christian service in general and to cross-cultural missions in particular. That's where I see this marriage of God's calling me to ministry and my lifelong interest in the wider world coming together. God put them together that way. Uh, So at 26, I quit my job, enrolled in Bible college, and eventually earned a Bachelor of Theology degree in missions. I also preached at a small church located about an hour away each Sunday for all but my first year of college, and that was a valuable experience. I had to preach both Sunday morning and Sunday night uh, for, for almost four years, and uh, that, that was a really great experience. I, I still uh, admired the people that put up with my early preaching there. <laughs> they were very gracious, but uh, I learned a lot, and that really helped me a lot. Um, and it was also at college that I met a fellow student by the name of Cynthia Pangaline. And she was also keenly interested in missions, and so we dated for two years and got married right after our graduation in 1988, mm. and we've been together now since then. Um, we were missionaries to Guam in the Commonwealth of the Northern Mariana Islands from 1990 to 1996. While we were there, we were training leaders for an existing congregation that had actually been around since the 1970s. It was actually planted by American missionaries from the Philippines, uh, and then we, we, we helped train leaders for that church. And then in the CNMI, the Northern Marianas, we helped plant a church among Filipino contract workers there on the island of Saipan. Uh, Sadly, well, I say sadly, it was sad at the time, but I see God working now. We left Guam in 1996 and returned to the U.S. mainland on the advice of some doctors because Cindy had had some health issues. And the the medical facilities in Guam weren't really equipped to handle her case very well. And so we we ended up getting back to states. And uh, we were kind of in a conundrum then because uh, here we were trained cross cultural workers. And the one thing we kind of knew was we didn't really want to go back to a monocultural kind of context. For one thing, our children were, we had, our two children had been born in Guam and they were growing up in a multicultural place. And we didn't want them getting stuck with kids that look just like them <laughs> and, and everything. So that's when we've decided that the best way to fulfill that was to do urban ministry. And so we moved to Chicago in the summer of 1997. I enrolled in an MA uh, program in urban mission that required us to live in the city. Uh, got to experience writing the L and all the other things that came along with living in Chicago. But it was also there that I got hired by a, a bilingual, multi multi-gen- gener,ational uh, Hispanic church, where they hired me first to be the youth pastor and then promoted me to associate pastor and gave me English speaking and preaching responsibilities to go along with my youth ministry. And I stayed there until, uh, well, I completed my degree in 1999. And there I was in March of 2000, minding my own business, doing my job, not bothering anybody when some guy called me out of the blue. This guy's name was Mark Worley. Um, And he said, hey, uh, somebody gave us your name. I thought you might be a good candidate to teach missions at mm. DCC. I said, Well, tell me about the job. And he told me about the job and said they were looking for someone with overseas experience, with urban experience, with experience working with Hispanics, and who had a master's degree, at least in missions. And I'm like, Well, check, 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 and check. Okay. And that's really how I got called to DCC. It was someone who knew about us, about sending me from one of our supporting churches. Knew the current president at DCC at the time, Dr. John Derry, and they had a chance meeting. I think it was at an airport. They bumped into each other and got into a discussion. Next thing I know, he dropped my name, and here I am today. Wow. I interviewed and I applied, interviewed, and took a job, and we moved here in the
1: summer of 2000. Wow. Okay. So the 80s, the fertile ground is prepared. The 90s, you go do it. Mm-hmm. 2000s come you're here in Dallas, what were the biggest takeaways from the 90s, from the time y'all spent in Guam, around there, that you really brought here?
2: Yeah, so the the need for really understanding and respecting cultures. Uh, I was, you know, I was was trained pretty well in my undergraduate, you know, I went to, I went overseas with just an undergraduate degree. I hadn't gotten my master's yet. And I was trained pretty well, but there still I had, still had a lot to learn. So one of the things I tell students here is don't think you're going to learn everything you need to learn here. I can teach you the general specifics of how to identify things in cultures, but I don't know every culture you're going to. And, you know, we worked with Filipinos primarily in Guam, and, but the Philippines has 27 major language groups, and each one of those represents a different culture. So, even within our church, and then the church in Chicago that we ministered at, we had, it was a Hispanic church, but we had Mexicans, we had Guatemalans, we had El Salvadorans, uh, we had Cubans. And the kids in my youth group were mixes. A lot of them had a Puerto Rican parent and a Mexican parent, or a Mexican parent and a Salvadoran parent. So, I learned a lot about, you know, there's differences in all of these. And learning how to respect those and listen to them uh, was one of the things that I, really big things
1: I learned. That's a pretty striking theme. I was just about to ask, how do you respect another's culture? And I, I, I'm wondering if this is part of your answer. When you learn about someone else's culture in life, is that a key element to respecting another's culture?
2: Yes, you have to learn. And, and the, one of the biggest things I try to tell people is your culture is not perfect. Um, we, we tend to judge people. It's, this is the essence of ethnocentrism. We judge other people based on how they compare to our culture. Mm-hmm. Well, the culture we need to be comparing them to is God's culture. Uh, because, hey, believe me, nothing will expose the deficiencies in our American culture than going overseas and learning other people's cultures mm-hmm. and finding out how different things, how, how much we've, as a culture, how much we've uh, really misrepresented what God wants for family for personal, you know, spirituality, a lot of things. We buy into the so-called American dream, which isn't the best dream in the world in some, in some cases and things like that. So it's a really uh, – the first thing is to learn that your culture is not perfect. Then you can respect other cultures. Awesome.
1: That might be brand new information. (laughs) Wow. And and the other thing I learned was
2: reverse culture shock is a real thing. Almost it's worse than culture shock. And Scott's nodding his head. I know he spent time in Russia. Coming back to the States after six years in Guam, it was like, you know, we saw all the bad things Mm
0: -hmm.
2: instead of the good things. Now, eventually we we moved back in and got things. But it was, we came back like, oh, we miss
1: yeah. The good things that we loved about Guam coming here. Yeah, you're you're really pointing out something that's so helpful in our culture, our world needs in respecting others. And, and the undertone of all this is humility. Absolutely, Gary. And you just model that so well. So Mark Worley calls you. Mm-hmm. You're here, right? What next? Well,
2: you know, I I so the thing that brought the thing that made me decide or made me begin to come to DCC was, you know, I was leaving a city, a church, and people that I really, really loved. I was happy in Chicago. I I thought would be where I'd be for the rest of my life, but I was convinced at that point in my life, I was in my early 40s by then, that it was time for me to think about a ministry of multiplication instead of a a ministry of addition. In other words, I thought I could be more effective for the kingdom by multiplying people who would do what I would do and then trying to do it all myself. And I remember the first chapel service that I spoke in here shortly after I got here, I said to students, I said, look, if you're not going to if you're not going to listen to what I'm saying and do and try to do what I'm telling you to do, then I need to get it back in my car, drive back to Chicago and back to what I was doing, because the whole reason I came here was to make more of me. Not that I'm great or perfect, but that we try to do the kinds of things that I was doing. That was multiplication. It was that's what it was about. And thankfully, in the 20-plus years I've been here, I think I've been at least mildly successful in that. Mm-hmm. Part of that's the evidence of my former students who are serving. Uh, I, could, you know, I could run down a list of a few here, you know, and I'm only going to say areas because some of the countries where they serve, sure, it wouldn't yeah. be a good idea to name the country by country. But I've got Rob Courtney down in Latin America, Ali Krabs in the Caribbean, Dari Angela Gamble in Asia. Luke and Lindsey Greer, who went to Latin America and now are back here in the States with the Orchard Group, an a international now church planting organization. Uh, Josh Howard in Asia. Uh, Kyle Jenkins, who does multicultural, multicultural domestic ministry right here in Dallas. I can say that place. <laughs> uh, Jean-Marie Joseph in the Caribbean. Uh, Karis Krieger in Asia. And Bobby Murphy in Asia. And that's just a handful. I, I'm sure I'm leaving out some folks just off the top of my head. But these are all people that uh, are still serving actively in intercultural in intercultural work who were my students here at dcc i'm so proud of every one of them because they're doing things that i you know they're going places i could never go on my own uh reaching people i've also been blessed since i've been here to also take some trips and lead some trips to other places uh in my here i've gone to ecuador i've gone to guatemala gone to Mexico. I've gone to Ghana, Africa with Dr. Ron Reif mm-hmm. on his final trip there. A lot of our listeners will recognize that name. I've also led uh, trips back to my old stomping grounds in Chicago three times, and I've gone to New York City to the Bronx once. Uh, all those are mission trips that I've got to take students on and accompany them on and sometimes lead those trips.
1: I definitely see multiplication here as you rattle that off. What, what would you say Is a a theme or an element when you say, ah, they got it? Yeah, well, uh, usually when they come back and they talk about,
2: you know, um, that cultural anthropology class we had or this or that, it made me realize that, you know, this is something uh, that I needed to look for and I found it. You know, Uh, it's oftentimes the stories I get back from the students about how something that we said in the classroom clicked with them Mm -hmm. on the field.
1: And you've got a good list of classes that you teach here that are certainly impactful. What's one of your favorite themes in one of those classes? We can't cover them all for time's sake, but what's one of your favorite themes and why?
2: Yeah, well, I think a common theme that runs through them all is that God wants all nations, as Scott said when he was introducing me, God wants all nations to hear the gospel, and in a way that they can understand it. Mm-hmm trying to explain the gospel to someone in American terms who's Chinese doesn't make sense to them. Or like tell students, like we were in my world religions class just the other day, we were talking about Hinduism. I said, don't talk about eternal life to a Hindu unless you can define it. Because for a Hindu, eternal life's a problem. They keep getting recycled. Mm -hmm. They keep getting reincarnated. And it's eternal circle. They want off that wheel of Samsara. They want to experience what's called moksha. So you have to watch your terms, you know. And so I remind them that you, when you're, so I think cross-cultural communication is one of my favorite classes to teach because we talk about that. Watch your terms. <laughs> Make sure you understand what eternal life means to them because, yes, the Bible wants us to, you know, God wants us to have eternal life, but he wants us to have it on his terms, not a Hindu's terms. And so that's, that's one of the things I really enjoy helping them get, a, get their heads around, you know.
0: Very helpful. Thank you. Yeah, that's excellent stuff. And uh, Gary, as you were sharing, I could amen just about everything you said, especially about uh, understanding other cultures and and living and immersing yourself in in someone else's shoes. I think that uh, we here in the United States think and expect everyone to think like we do. And and that's, that's part of our problem right now. So I really... Really appreciate you sharing that and and letting our listeners learn a little bit more about your passion, uh, not only for ministry, but also uh, especially focused on intercultural studies. And if you'd like to learn more about Dallas Christian College and how we can help you discover your calling, and especially if you have an interest in missions, intercultural work, multicultural work, we'd love for you to check out our website at www.dallas.edu, and we certainly will reach out to you and share more about our programs here. In addition, you heard Gary mention Mark Worley and his role in getting Gary and Cindy to the Dallas area. If you wanna learn more about our NOW Capital Campaign and how you can partner with Dallas Christian College to help fund student scholarships and support the Worley Student Life Center, you can check our website, dedicated to that at www.dallaspartners.org. Again, we are grateful that you have decided to join us for this series of the DCC Leadership Podcast. Until next time, take care, stay safe, and have a great day.